Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible therapist and author, Tammy Keekafer. Hello, Tammy, and welcome to the show. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. Today, we are going to be talking about preparing for the dating jungle. And for those that don't know, Tammy Keekafer has operated a successful psychotherapy practice since 2002, over two decades. She provides individual, family, and couples therapy around anxiety, depression, domestic violence, trauma, and relationships, and empowerment. Tammy is also a certified yoga instructor and weaves concepts of holistic therapy into her clinical work. She's the author of Preparing for the Jungle, Avoiding Snakes and Pitfalls on the Path to Healthy Love. How are you today, Tammy? Thank you. I'm well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm super well and I'm super excited. And I want to save the latter half of the podcast to get into just relationships in general, because let's just say I'm not in a relationship yet. I'm in the dating world and we'll get there eventually. And I'm curious just what brought you to write this book, Preparing for the Jungle. And how does one become an expert or knowledgeable around dating? Did you yourself go on a bunch of dates or is there a class on dating that you take in becoming a LCSW? I wish there was a class on dating. Um, I probably shoulda, woulda, coulda signed up for that years ago. So no, I think that my own personal experience and being in a couple serious relationships, making some mistakes definitely led me to being able to, to write this book. I was married for about 12 years and then, and I've got two great kids. They're 17 and 19 now, but we got divorced. And after that, I just figured like, I've got to figure out what am I doing? What can I do differently? And so in, as a counselor of 21 years now, I help families, couples, individuals with their own issues around anxiety, depression, relationships, domestic violence. And here I am doing couples counseling, going through a divorce. So that was, you know, a little, a little awkward, but it just, you know, what I was telling and talking to my clients about, I had to apply that to myself as well. So as I wrote the book, it goes, you know, I I decided it's like, gosh, you've got to get yourself together. You've got to be the most confident person You've got to know what you're looking for. You've got to have self-respect. You've got to know why you're attracted to certain types of people. And if that's working for you, if it's not working for you, you're ultimately, it's up to you to change those things. And so that's where I started writing the book and it just kind of all gelled together and I lived my own book. So I believe in it a hundred percent. And now I've been, I've been engaged to someone for three years now and it's been, it's been great. It's probably the most healthy relationship I've ever been in. This is a common concern I hear from therapists who are going through their own personal troubles. There's a bit of some imposter syndrome, you might call it, along the lines of who am I to give guidance to others when 
my own life is a mess. So who am I to, <laughs> to help couples when my own intimate relationship is falling apart? And how do you cope with those thoughts? Like, what's the solution? Yeah, well, I kind of look at it like no one has a perfect life. Everyone has their stuff. And so I try to give myself grace when my life um, is turned upside down or I'm struggling with my own things. I think that it, it kind of helps me, you know, definitely relate to people differently. And, and I understand anxiety. I understand toxic relationships. I understand. I don't, I don't think you have to go through exactly what someone's going through to help them, but it sure gives you a different perspective of like going through the whole divorce process. I mean, it's, it's rough. I wouldn't, I, I, when I hear people getting ready to start that process, I just, you know, my heart goes out to you because it's, it's rough, but I think that there's boundaries, I guess that, you know, you learn over time, you learn definitely in school and going through the schooling that I've had that they pound the, the idea of boundaries into your, into your head. But yeah, I just, I guess I kind of look at everyone's got their stuff and no one's perfect and I'm not here to judge anyone. And I just want to help people wherever they are and help them move forward. So I'm curious, you're almost cosmological ideas on dating and relationships and love, because I think we're often told what is sometimes referred to as like the soulmate model or the destiny beliefs model, that there's one person out there and it's our task to find that person. And sometimes it's called the twin flame, right? People get so happy when they think that they find their twin flame. But sometimes people think they find their twin flame. Perhaps you have experienced this. And yeah. <laughs> God, I hope there's not just one. <laughs> uh, then it's like, oh no, this person I thought was the one is not the one. Therefore, is there somebody else that out there is my one? What is, what's your take? You know, I, I think I, I lie somewhere in the middle. I, I think that to put so much pressure on there's only one person out there for you, it can, it can, uh, it can be a lot if, if that's the belief system. I think that it, you don't, you don't have that instant connection with everyone who crosses your path. So I think that there is something special when somebody comes along and, and you just kind of, I think it's an internal feeling. It's like, maybe it's through the eye contact, maybe it's a behavior, maybe it's, I think that, that you can't plan when someone comes across your path and you just fall in love. But I think you've got to know also what it is that you're looking for. I, I think that it's an energy that we put out there when you're in a space of maybe your confidence is in the tank and and you don't really know what you're looking for. And just blindly, you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll choose you. You know, I think that there's a an energy out there of desperation of I just need someone and maybe a bad relationship is better than no relationship. That type of energy, I think you're going to probably attract someone who's in in a similar space. And that is probably setting yourself for, for a not so healthy relationship. But I think it's your energy. And, and when you're in a space of, I know exactly what I want and I'm good, I'm good where I am in a relationship as a bonus. I think that's where you're out there and you're probably going to attract more of a healthy person, which is going to lead to a healthy relationship. So is there one person? No, but I think that, that there's 
kind of a, you've got to know what you're looking for. And then there's energy out there that kind of leads you to that person. I totally agree with you that we do put an energy out there and that energy attracts other people of a similar energy. And I'm curious your thoughts about how much of that energy is unconscious. I recently picked up Terry Reel's new book called Us. And he says, we all marry our unfinished business. This is a common thing I hear from couples therapists that we don't choose a partner based on sexual attraction or because they're funny or attractive or smart, but because of how they resemble our parents or because of how much they stir our childhood wounds or are going to stir up our childhood wounds. So I'm curious your take on this basic idea that we do unconsciously choose a partner because of how much they will stir up our own wounding. I think, you know, my first thought when you were talking is you got to finish your business. <laughs> you, <laughs> I think that, and, and that's, again, that's kind of why I wrote the book is, is understanding your family roles and what your role was growing up, how communication was role modeled to you, how you learned how to handle conflict in your childhood with your family of origin, whoever were your caregivers. I think that I've got a chapter on attachment and attachment styles, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, secure attachment, just different kinds and the personality types that come from those different attachment styles. So dependent, narcissistic, histrionic, there's different personality styles that come from that. So all of that is like your foundation that was laid out for you and how you grew up. And that can become, however you grew up, can become comfortable. It doesn't mean that it's a healthy comfortable, but it's just what you know. So I do agree with you. I think that you're attracted to people who make you feel comfortable. It's just that you've got to understand, is this a healthy comfortable or am I falling into old patterns because, whoosh, okay, now I know my role. And, and having that insight, having that awareness, doing the work, finishing your business can help you determine if that's going to be a healthy relationship or not. Well, that's, that is my question. I'm curious. A lot of people say they want love. You ask somebody who's lonely and they will say they really want an intimate relationship. But are most people ready for love? I don't know. You've got to get out there and try it. <laughs> I think you can... <laughs> You can only read <laughs> you can only read so much from a book. You can only, you know, there's there's so many books and courses and and uh, and and workshops and that you can go to. But I think the ultimate test is get out there and try it and see what works, see how you handle conflict, see where your confidence is. Really be open to learning, you know, what red flags are in somebody, being able to have boundaries, being able to be assertive. I I think you it is. I think it's one of those things where you go out and you you cast your net and you see how you are in a relationship and then you've got a ton of learning opportunities that you can get from that. So Let's say, hypothetically, I went out there, I tried it, and it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So what I mean by that, you know, there's so many things that could go wrong. You know, let's say I've gone on a number of first dates. No one's returning my calls. That's one option. Another option is I'm going on a number of dates. And I think there's that phrase, and I want to butcher it because it's important, that uh, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. 
So, <laughs> and what I mean by that is a lot of people, they go on dates and they conclude there's nobody good out there, right? All, all men are just jerk sleaze bags or all women are just crazy. And there's that conclusion, right? I feel like those are the two fundamental conclusions. Something's wrong with me or something is wrong with everyone else. So right. you say, I got to go out there and try it. I tried it. I hate dating. I never want to do it again. What's the next step? Well, I think that there's, you know, looking at maybe the platforms. If you're going out and it's online dating, I think it can online dating can be good because it gives you a a very much more wide variety of of potential people. Um, it's not for everybody. Sometimes it's more organic. Where I think when you're online dating, you got you're on a mission. You know, you're looking for someone to date. You're looking for a relationship. You're looking for I don't know, hookup, or you're looking for something when when something starts out a little bit more organic. So maybe, uh, maybe you join a an exercise, maybe you join a gym, or you join a, um, like a class, or uh, there's something, you know, meetup, meetup.com. I don't know if you've heard of that. I think it's a great place to, to get out there and, and start out with a common ground. So maybe you take a class in, I'm just going to pick photography or something. So now all of a sudden, everyone is there. They're all interested in photography. You're building more of a foundation. You're building more of a friendship with people. And it's not that initial, okay, who am I going to date? Who, you know, and, and there's a lot of judgment out there. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of times you're not even really yourself because you're trying to be what you think the other person wants you to be. And that's strike one right there because you're not being authentic. So so I guess I would look at maybe the platform. And if there's something else, another way to meet people where you can just relax into it and be your most authentic self first. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Basically, if your current strategy isn't working, switch the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And find another way of going about it. So I'm curious why you call the dating world a jungle. And along the same lines, what are the metaphors in this case? Like what are the snakes in this case? And when I think about a jungle, I'm debating about do I need a map or do I need a really strong machete to carve <laughs> my own path? <laughs> <Bingo>. so, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a really good start. A map and a machete. I like it. <laughs> I think that it is, you know, I called it a jungle just because it's unknown. It's not mapped out. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's it's it's human behavior. There's not one way of doing it. It's it's a there's so many different avenues and paths and and trees and vines and you know everything. I mean, I think that there's it's unique to that individual person. I called it a jungle because there's so many things that you've got to learn about it to to survive. Um, you can't just go into the jungle, I don't know, without sunscreen and flip, just with your flip-flops. I mean, I think you mm-hmm. have to have kind of a machete. <laughs> you've you've got to be prepared because you need to know who you are internally. You need to know who am I in a relationship when I go out there and I'm going to enter the dating world who am I and what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are, what are things that are, what am I looking for? It's interesting. I was thinking about the snakes and I think there's an external and there's an internal. So the external is people who could be out there that might take advantage of you. People who maybe you're looking for something 
two different things, but there's an internal sense too. You know, it's your own snakes and pitfalls. It's your own internal dialogue. It's your own, are you self-deprecating? Do you have self-respect because you have low confidence or you don't know yourself worse? Sometimes I think there's an internal and an external snakes and pitfalls. We can go either into the internal or external. I'm tempted to go into the external because you did mention people that can take advantage of you. And I'm sure in your work, you see some of the worst uh, experiences that people go through. Domestic violence, affairs, people dealing with a traumatized individual or somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. And none of us go into the dating world with the intention of finding these people. But we do end up with somebody who maybe is prone to cheating, prone to domestic violence. Is there any way to avoid that? Is there any safe way? Are there red flags that we can look for to protect us from entering into certain toxic relationships? You know, I think, well, one, definitely knowing yourself, being able to know what to look for. You know, when you talk about red flags, I mean, what is a red flag? I think that it's it's uh, anything that would contribute to not having a an quality in a relationship um, where there's, I think there's four main things that, that I call them the foundation of a relationship, but there's appreciation, uh, respect, trust, and communication. And I think that th- that makes up the foundation of a relationship. So I think if you were to utilize that as kind of a roadmap, Am I, am I with someone who's respecting me? Am I with someone who's appreciating me? Am I looking, am I with someone who trust is important? It's not just trust in the cheating part, but it's trust. Like, are you creating a trusting atmosphere? Can I be open and honest with you? Can I, can I trust that you're going to follow through? Can I trust that you're going to show up in the relationship like I need you to? And then communication is huge, you know, uh, just being able to have validation and resolve conflict. And so I don't know, I guess, I guess you utilizing those four aspects, I think could be really important when you go out and you're trying to assess if it's a healthy relationship. The other thing I think is time, you know, people who rush into a relationship, I always feel like that first six months of a relationship, like everyone's on their best behavior and no one's really like, causing waves or speaking, you know, it, it's like, you know, I, I can tell that six month mark in a relationship, it's like the first little fight, it's the, you're seeing them in a different light. And I think, you know, people who rush into a relationship, it's just a little more risky, because you just don't know who that person is, you've got to see them in all kinds of different settings. So a, a longer vetting process, you might say, I believe that's huge. Yeah. Because you want to see them like with their friends or with their family or in, you know, on their bad day or when they're in traffic or when they didn't get a promotion they thought they were going to, or I don't know, they bought something and they have to return it or they got bad service somewhere. I mean, you want to see people in all kinds of different situations to see like, hmm, how's that person going to react with other people? Then also, how's that person going to react with me? Because pretty soon you're going to be that person. So I really like the four things that you mentioned to help create a a foundation of a healthy relationship. And I have the acronym for you. It's CART, like a grocery cart. You know, it carries your relationship. So we have communication, appreciation, respect, and trust. Oh, I might steal Uh, that from you. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free. No worries. I love that. 
<laughs> so I am, yeah, I'm curious more. I'd love to hear more about how we establish that foundation or have that as our foundation. And I'm almost wondering if we should make that explicit, you know, the first, second or third day. Hey, I'm starting to like you. I want to make sure that we can create a foundation of these four things. Or are there other perhaps tests you might do, you know, leave $20 out on the coffee table and <laughs> have them wait. Like, <laughs> see if the trust, trust is there. That's funny. Little tests like that. It, it's interesting. It's funny that you just said that, like on your second or third date, you know, I've had clients who actually write down their little checklist and keep it in their purse or their wallet. And they'll whip that out in a first or second date and go, all right, here's the deal. You know, here's what I need in a relationship. Check, check, check. I want to, it's like a, te- like, I want to ask you. They don't want to waste time with, with the gamey stuff. But yeah, I think that, that defining these areas first is really important. What does respect look like to you? Here's what it looks like to me. When's the time that your sense of trust was was compromised and how did you handle it and what did you learn from it? I mean, it is. It, I think that asking these questions and talking about how do you define these, what does it look like, and um, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Because we're talking about dating, I'm curious your take simply on the dating world right now in sort of modern society. I think about often how 200 years ago we married because our family farms were close to each other. (laughs) And now (laughs) we marry and we expect so much from our intimate partnerships. We expect the person to be our best friend, our passionate lover, our the parent, loving parent of our children, maybe our bank account, maybe our therapist, when if we don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) And at the same time, our selection is huge. I can open up my phone and I can swipe through hundreds of people, right? Rather than go to a party with like six friends and and oh, that person I feel attracted to. So our expectations are sky high. The pressure on intimate relationships is sky high. The paradox of choice um, is super high. What do you think the future of of dating is? Where do you? How do you recommend people navigate this this changing circumstances? You bring up a lot of really good points. I think you know first you've got to know yourself. You've got to do your work. You've got to get your business tidied up. You've got to. Um, I just think that that is so important because. Who you are going out into the dating world is what you're going to attract. If you're looking for someone to fill all those buckets, you're going to come up empty because not one person can fill all those buckets. I think that that's why you've got your partner, you've got your your group of friends that you hang out with, you've got your, you know, just different people bring a different aspect of and quality to your life. Your partner isn't going to be all of those things. And if you're expecting that, Um, You're almost setting yourself up for failure and you're setting your partner up for failure. It's just impossible. And I think that we're kind of living in a very me society, a very, you know, what are you going to do for me? What can, what are you, what am I going to get out of this relationship with you? How's it going to serve me? And I just, I wish that it kind of would go back to, you know, we're, we're in this together. We're going to have bad days. It's not, I don't know, you've heard the thing maybe like it's it's 50-50. Well, it's 100%, 100%, but you're not always at 100%. And so so you've got to be there for the other person. What are you bringing into this relationship? How are you going to support the other person? 
And again, gosh, there's no perfect relationship. And so I even find it in my own relationship, you know, when, when he does something, I don't know, that just irritates me or, or whatever I can, like, I can, I can react to it instead of stepping back and just thinking, okay, where is he coming from? What is he trying to explain to me? What, what am I missing? I need to step back and just listen. And so, yeah, I think that, that that's a really important aspect to bring into a relationship that it's not an all me thing. It's, it's a partnership. You're there for each other and it's not always going to be perfect. So that expectation that everything's going to be fine. And the minute something goes sideways, like forget it, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm, I'm, you know, this, this is over. I think we're all kind of quick to just be done because you've got this huge pool of people to choose from. So you, you work with a lot of clients and I know there's patient therapist privilege, but I am curious if you do have any story that you could tell, perhaps in a general sense, or you could use your own life that might exemplify using these principles in practice. So what I'm hearing from you is that if we don't know ourselves and if we're not putting out a good energy, we will attract that same bad energy, I'll say. But once we do gain a certain level of self-knowledge, once we quote-unquote finish our business, then we will attract and enter into a relationship that does serve us. So what's an example of what happened in somebody's relationships where that happened? It's interesting because a lot of times when people come in to see me, they might come in for... I don't know, I'm just kind of arguing with my partner and I want to make our relationship stronger. And then when we talk more and more and more, we talk about, well, what are your needs and how do you how do you communicate with each other and and digging, digging, digging. Sometimes people get to a realization like, holy cow, I'm not happy. This is not my other half doesn't want to put in the effort, doesn't want to learn about why they do a certain thing or learn different ways of communicating or learn how to problem solve. And so one option is that they have a realization like this isn't the relationship for me. And it's a huge aha moment because they've been trying to make something work and the other person isn't putting in the effort to change. And there's, you know, you can't change other people, but you can change how you respond to them. And a relationship might end after coming to me and, and really understanding what they want. But what, I, what I'm seeing is that they're so much happier to be able to f- actually get out there and find someone who fits them and what they're looking for more. A lot of times people will come in and on an individual basis and then I'll refer them to couples counseling and they actually get to start talking about the things that they need to talk about together. Or when I'm doing couples counseling, I'm the third person. So, so I'm helping them learn how to communicate and actually hear each other and, and see another person's perspective because communication is hard. I always think it's, it's communication is 98% of a relationship and it's, it's validating, it's listening, it's clarifying. It's, I mean, communication is such a difficult, it's very difficult. The chances of us miscommunicating are so much higher than the chances of us having a dialogue and knowing exactly what the other person was thinking. And so a lot of times when you can just get people communicating, they their relationship improves so much because they're 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 on the same page. I say this kind of facetiously, but when you help a client realize that their partnership isn't serving them, do you get hate mail from their <laughs> now ex-partner saying that 
you you ruin their relationship. <laughs> oh, to be honest with you, I I get there's been times when I'm nervous to walk out into the parking lot after work sometimes. But I, I've never run into that before. I used to run, actually, I used to run domestic violence uh, groups that were people who were court ordered to come to groups. I had a men's group and a women's group. And it was the same kind of thing where these people, men and women would come in and they would get so much healthier and they would realize like this relationship isn't working if the other person doesn't also step up and do a lot of internal self-reflection. And so I would be nervous about that sometimes, but I, I haven't, I haven't ever had to experience that. I think that I try to encourage people to, to handle situations like that with compassion as much as they possibly can. So I totally hear you when you say that a common complaint in partnership is that my partner isn't willing to do the work, especially if I myself am going to therapy and doing all this work, but my partner isn't sharing the same insights and, and growth patterns that I am. But I'm thinking about the flip side of that around people who think, oh, if my partner was just this way, our relationship would be perfect. And I'm sure you do have the situation where in couples therapy, a partner comes and they're like, okay, can you fix my partner? <laughs> <laughs> they they don't know how to communicate. They don't do this. They, they're totally unable to see this perfectly objective reality that I'm that I'm speaking to. How have you seen? Yeah, the partners almost advocate themselves of blame and responsibility by blaming the other person. I think it's human nature to think we're right. You know, it, when you believe something and you see something so clearly in your mind, your perception is your reality. And if your perception is indicating one thing, then it's like, well, why can't you just see where I'm coming from? Because if you could, clearly you'd agree with me and everything would be okay. So I think that there's there's that part where, yeah, you've got your perception, but the other person also has their perception. And you can't talk about both perceptions at the same exact time because then the defenses go up and no one is really hearing anyone. You're just thinking about what you're going to say next or why the other person is so wrong. So I encourage people to, it's, it's one at a time. One person has to go first. And especially when there's a lot of interrupting and a lot of like blaming and pointing fingers, sometimes I'll even, you know, when I was in the office, I'll have like a coaster or something that people have to hold. And if you're holding the coaster, then you're the, then you're the one that gets to talk. And I mean, it gets down to something like that because there's just so much defensiveness and anger and like, you're not hearing me. So then it's about understanding this is the, the power, the magic of validation is when you're talking and saying like a situation, you know, I'm so frustrated because I come home and the dishes are in the sink and there's clothes all over the place. And, and I'm so frustrated that you're not picking up your stuff. And if then if the other person goes, oh, really? Well, you should go look at the this because you never do that. And then it just gets to this you, you, you thing. Instead, I'll try to be that third person and demonstrate validation of, okay, what did you just hear that person say? Well, I heard him say that they're mad because I never put gas in the car. And I'm like, well, ask them. And then the other person says, I don't care about the gas in the car. I said, I'm frustrated about the dishes and the clothes. And so, so then the person, the other person says, okay, I hear you that you're frustrated about the dishes and the clothes. Well, then we can come back to that foundation of a relationship because it's not so much the dishes and the clothes. It's, I don't feel respected. I don't feel appreciated. I'm not, I feel like you think I'm your, your maid and I'm going to clean up after you. And that doesn't make me feel like we have a partnership. 
So it's kind of layers. It's one hearing each other and then and then anchoring it down to that foundational aspect. And then now we're getting into the meat of it. How else can you show appreciation and respect to each other? So often in workshops, I have a talking stick. And what I hear from you is you have a talking coaster in the <laughs> session. <laughs> I do. Whatever it is. Yeah. Or or now that I'm doing a lot of Zoom sessions, it's like, okay, find something around you <laughs> and hold on to it. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's and you don't realize how often, you know, some some people don't realize how often they they interrupt each other. And it's just like, holy cow, you guys have to like stop. No one's even hearing each other. No wonder you're so frustrated. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about those relationship skills that you have found are so key for intimacy. What I'm hearing from you is listening, also validation. And what else are some really useful skills that we can cultivate to better our partnerships? I think it is, you know, really those those four aspects. In fact, I've got a diagram that I use. There's four squares and then in the in in, in the middle is the intimacy. The four squares, communication, appreciation, respect, and trust. Cards. Love that. (laughs) If those are all, those are important in any kind of relationship, whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, colleague, partner, a family member, whatever. Those four aspects are important. When you get into a romantic relationship, intimacy, and not just the sex part, but intimacy, like like sitting next to each other on the couch, um, holding hands. kiss before bed, saying, I love you. There's so many layers of intimacy, but intimacy is what sets a romantic relation apart from just being a buddy. And what I see is that when any of those four aspects are compromised, intimacy can be the first thing to go out of a relationship. And oftentimes it can be the last thing to come back because it requires so much of a vulnerability and when those areas, communication, appreciation, respect, and trust, when they are compromised, you're going to throw your defenses up. You're going to throw your guard up. And when you're guarded, you can't be vulnerable. Yeah. So intimacy is that canary in the coal mine. If it's the uh, first thing to yeah. go, indicative that there's work to be done. Definitely. Would you say that two people who are essentially committed to doing the work can be in a happy partnership? If I took two random people off the street and they were committed to growing, learning these skills that they could be together? I think there's a chemistry. You've got to have chemistry also with somebody. It reminds me of that show, isn't it? It's called Love is Blind. I haven't actually watched it, but I've heard a lot about it where, you know, they're talking to someone and they're trying to, or any of those dating reality shows or something. I don't think that you, just because you're willing to work on a relationship, are meant to be together. I think there has to be chemistry also. And that's why it's so unique and special. You know, it's not like you just fall in love with everyone who, who crosses your path. There's, there's certain people going back to the twin flame idea. There are certain people who you're going to have more of a connection with. So yeah, I think that maybe two people that have the same interest of building a good friendship could be friends, but that intimate quality, it's just, it's, it's special. It's unique. Yeah, I'm curious how you account for the wide variation of people and the relationships that they form. And what I mean by that is I also think physical intimacy is really key to a relationship. Everything from hand-holding to hugging before you go out the door to kissing each other goodnight. And also think sex is an essential part of an intimate relationship. But I do know couples who uh, rarely 
express affection for each other and, and do seem to have a, a long and healthy partnership. Are they both happy and healthy? How would you measure the success of a relationship? Honestly, I measure the success of a relationship on how they handle conflict. That's my number one thing I can, you know, if a couple comes in and they have zero conflict resolution skills, it's going to be a rough road. I think that that someone who, you know, if it if it works for them because of whatever reason, interest, sex drive, medical, age, time, I don't know, whatever, if it works for both people, then it works for them. If it doesn't work for one person, you got to figure that out and and try to learn either how to compromise or or I mean I think communication around around that because you can take it very personal if someone doesn't want to have sex with you and all of a sudden you're creating this story about why they don't want to have sex with you and and you could be completely off base but if you communicate about it in a way where you're actually having a dialogue and it's not you know so aggressive or demeaning or any of those things, you can learn a lot about the why behind the behavior that I I talk about a lot is the why behind the behavior. So I think that it's every couple is so unique because every person is unique. And so I guess when someone comes in my office, I do a lot of listening first just to find out like, okay, where are you? And then that's our starting place. So I'm hearing the conflict Resolution is really important. I'm wondering the best way to resolve conflicts. Let's say we argue all the time about money, for example. I'm also thinking about some of the research that Gottman has shown that 50% of arguments will never be resolved. And they'll find couples arguing about the same thing 30 years later. So I'm curious, what's the best tools for conflict resolution? I go back to communication. You know, I I think that when, how do people handle conflict? Some people stuff everything under the rug and then it builds and builds and builds and it blows up and then they avoid it and then they stuff it back under the rug and then it builds and, and they get into this cyclical pattern. Some people are conflict avoidant and they just, just dismiss everything. I think that when you've got unresolved issues out there, you you're going to, those add up and they create resentment and resentment is going to kill a relationship. So I think that uh, that's a huge problem is that people don't go back in and resolve their conflict. And, and resolution doesn't mean we're going to come to an agreement. It means that you're coming to an understanding and an understanding of where the other person is and what that triggered for them in their past that made them feel upset or sad or rejected or abandoned or whatever those deep-seated feelings are. That is so important. I'm just going to say it again. Unresolved issues build up, cause resentment, and will kill your relationship. And I also love that you said the point is not to come to an agreement, but to come to an understanding. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Tammy Kikafer, for coming on to the show. But I do have to finish by asking you the question I love to ask all of my guests, which is, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Oh, everyone. Let's see. I think having patience, understanding, and compassion. I mean, I think that if you enter into a relationship with patience, with yourself, with the other person, with an ability to understand where people are coming from, and having compassion to people's differences, I don't think you can go wrong. 
We have three more qualities we have to add now. Patience, understanding, and compassion. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tammy Kikafer, the author of Preparing for the Jungle, Avoiding Snakes and Pitfalls on the Path to Healthy Love. For our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? Uh, my website is the best place to go. It's healthyhealing.net. And I've got a bunch of articles and blogs and I've got how to purchase the book. It's just on Amazon. I've also, this book is also an online course where I walk you through things, uh, every single module, there's videos, there's a workbook that goes with it. It's if you want to dig in a little bit deeper to your personal situation. And, uh, but if anyone has any questions, uh, healthyhealing.net, uh, you can, it's got all my information on there and I encourage people to reach out and ask questions and, um, I'd love to hear from you. Lovely. Healthyhealing.net. Such a wonderful website. Thank you. So yes, thank you, Tammy. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember many of the valuable lessons that Tammy shared with us today, including that we put an energy out there and attract that energy back. So you have to finish your business. (laughs) If your strategy isn't, I love that. That's so important. If your strategy isn't working, switch the strategy. We do live in a very me, me, me society, and it's important to go into a relationship recognizing that you are in it together. We can't talk at the same time. We have to listen, validate, and empathize too. And it's important to create a foundation of appreciation, respect, trust, communication, and three more extra points, patience, understanding, and compassion. And how you handle conflict is the biggest concern of your relationship, and communication is the solution. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Tammy. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 